Welcome to the ENS HQ podcast, the only show you need to help you become a better ENS domain name investor. Join your hosts, TJ Larkin and Mike Higgins, as they dive deep into the world of Web3 domain names and bring you actionable ideas, concepts, and tips on how to make smarter decisions on your ENS investing journey. If you're looking to up your game as an ENS investor, or just want to learn what all the excitement in the space is about, you've come to the right place. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the ENS HQ podcast. I'm Mike Higgins here with the man, the myth, the legend, the smartest guy in ENS, TJ Larkin. How are you, TJ? How's it going? How's it going, Billy? Billy Bob. <laughs> Billy Bob. Hey, it's uh, it's good to be back. It's been a while. I've been uh, out of touch, and uh, it's always good to be able to record another podcast. And I think that's kind of one of the interesting things about the podcast is to have a guy that's out of touch ask softball questions to you so that you can explain it to seemingly like a third grader. Um, actually, I think that does a really good job in helping all the listeners and everybody that's tuning in on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube uh, to do a really good job is of explaining things. So I'm excited to be back. You just got done posting a thread on Twitter. Um, you were in the middle of a Twitter spaces, I think. Is that what they call it now? Is that what the, the rooms right. are in? Twitter spaces with my brother, Matt Higgins, and uh, yep. we're going to talk all about that today. So you did a really good job of recapping it. You got one of the longest threads on Twitter right now and uh, seemingly blowing up. I'm looking at it right now and it, the first tweets already reached like almost 2,100 people. So and it's, only, yeah. it's not even an hour old. So uh, let's dive into it. Anything you want to touch on a little Fresh. bit before, before we get into the thread? Um, well, first, let's just clarify. So you're, you're Matt's brother, right? Did he not tell you he was doing this spaces or what did you guys, would you go over beforehand? Correct. I just kind of walk him through the game plan a little bit just to make sure he touches okay. on all the bullet points to uh, make sure that it turned into a good Twitter spaces. I mean, he is worth like a hundred million and I'm, I got about 25% of that. So um, it may not okay. look like it by the quality of my camera today for my second computer, yeah. uh, but I just yeah. choose to spend my money other way in other places. Okay. Okay. Well, no, I think you did a great job advising him. He he did awesome. So uh, congrats to you, Mr. Higgins. That's good, man. Let's dive into this a little bit. What's kind of, I mean, the thing, the, the first thing that pops out from what you wrote and what was coming out of the, uh, what was coming out of the, um, the Twitter spaces is that he said, I'm more bullish on ENS than DNS because DNS is only for people who have a website and then he says, ENS is for all 8 billion people. What does he mean by that? So what he means by that is something that I've written about a ton on Twitter. And I think even you and I have maybe talked about this a little bit too, that there's a lot of uh, comparisons between ENS and DNS, meaning dot, let's call it DNSA.com, right? So there's a lot of comparisons, .eth versus .com. And when you say something like, oh, .eth could be as valuable as .com, and that's a comparable, a lot of people who aren't in the space will say, oh, that's ridiculous. No way. No way .eth could be as big as .com. And I often will push back on people on that and say, well, not only could it be as big, it could be a lot bigger. And that just blows people's mind, right? Hence the uh, the GIF on uh, the tweet. And it, But it makes perfect logical sense, right? And he, he broke it down pretty simply here. Dot, people who need .coms are people who are putting together websites. How many people on this earth have their own website? Relatively not that many, right? I would put it at 
uh, some, I'm guessing 50 million to, you know, 500 million, 400 million. I don't know, something like that. So that's the most, most regular people with a regular job who aren't crazy connected, they don't need a website. So they don't need a.com. But with ENS, everybody in the future, when web three goes mainstream, will need a wallet to hold their cryptocurrency. And when you have a wallet, it's a string of 40 random characters and nobody's going to want to be known as a string of random 40 characters. So therefore they will buy the best, uh, the best naming system for Web3 wallets, which we believe will be ENS. So therefore, your um, potential customers is anybody with an internet connection. So technically said 8 billion, you know, not all 8 billion people have internet connection. Let's call it five. Uh, but still, that that's how big it is, right? I mean, so we're talking at least potential is 10 times bigger than .com, at least. So, you know, that doesn't mean that's exactly what's going to happen. It doesn't mean you know, this is just an obvious, you know, thing that every single person should invest all their money in right this second. Of course not. But the potential is there for this to be 10x bigger than .com. And that's what he's saying, I think. One thing that you mentioned was that we're still in the speculative phase. Uh, But if it doesn't, if it does happen, it's global. Tell me a little bit about the speculative phase, because it feels like that a little bit. I was driving home the other day thinking about kind of this upcoming podcast and thinking like, huh, I wonder if I'm making this drive five years from now, I happen to be going by a bank. And that's what made me think of it. I'm like, what if we're driving this drive five years from now? And I don't even think about ever stopping at that bank. Uh, What's the likelihood that that actually happens with crypto? um, And then also kind of thinking like if crypto thinking Bitcoin, um, all these other tokens and coins and maybe from a currency standpoint, right? Like a, like actually trading dollars. Is it possible that ENS still thrives without that other stuff still being part of our world? So that's kind of two questions in one. I know it, but yeah, go down that a minute. Yeah. 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 It's uh it's interesting question. So as far as the banking system, banking changes, um, there's just a lot. That's a that's a huge, huge question. Um, as far as your bank being on the side of the road, I mean, I definitely see that getting smaller and smaller, almost no matter what. I mean, the amount of bank, banks been closing up because they realize they don't need to spend the money on infrastructure. Um, there's also the giant question here of CBDC, central bank digital currencies, which as every day goes on, more and more countries announce their CBDCs. And if anyone doesn't think it's going to happen here or anywhere, it's going to happen it's a question of when and yeah, the impact what happened well we don't so that's the question so even if you if you were to make the assumption and say okay it's 2025 and and the u.s government uh institutes a cbdc what does this mean for banks we don't know yet and that that's just a really really deep question but as a, at a higher as a level very how, strong left-wing liberal like yourself because I know, mm-hmm. i'm just kidding <laughs> what do you think though could hey, happen? go ahead well, the at the so I believe CBDCs will happen. It's it's going to come. It won't start in the U.S. It'll you know the other countries will be the test, and then it'll come come to the U.S. And so what essentially is going to happen is we're going to have a country with two types of money. There's essentially going to be government money and private money. Okay, so right now most people are almost everybody just uses government money and doesn't even think about it. But in the future, when the technology is much much easier than it is today. There, you will have a choice of what type of money to use. And certain places will only take certain kinds. Um, 
and and most people will need to have both, right? Anything related to government, taxes, fines, you know, bills, you're is always going to be the US CBDC. And then you'll get some places that accept most places will probably just accept both. And then maybe some extreme places will purposefully not accept uh, CBDC. But the point is, in that world, we will have wallets that will work so seamlessly that this won't be that difficult for most people, right? So for example, an Apple wallet or a Google wallet right now on your phone. I, I don't, haven't used mine a ton, but I've used it a little bit. It's, it's pretty easy. I think most people who use them love them. It's relatively simple. So that is what crypto wallets will look like in the future. And I believe they'll also hold CBDC. So, um, and then, the, so the question is, okay, when that happens, how does ENS relate to this? And you would have or could have a name for your wallet, right? And so ENS can hold all of the currency. So you can have any type of currency. It can all be in the ENS using the ENS wallet. So for me, it'd be tjlarkin.eth. I can have X amount of CBDC, X amount of ETH, Bitcoin, four other ones. They all live there. And then anytime you're going to pay somewhere, you would just click, which one do I want to pay with? And it's just, just that simple. So it seems crazy now. Like, of course, that can't happen today. You know, just using MetaMask is difficult enough, but we already can see how it can work just looking at Apple Pay or Google Pay. It'll be something like that down the road. So going back to the speculative thing, when do we know we're not in the speculative phase anymore, right? You've been talking about this for a while. And yeah. there's usually some kind of key indicators when certain things start to tip over the edge of not being a speculation and start to become truth, start to become a thing. And with somebody that's in it all the time, like you, you obviously are very passionate and understand or have a have a strong feeling that this is a thing. This is not a a speculation, right? I mean, you still, you, you have a healthy, you have a healthy amount of, of um, speculation, I guess would be the word with it, but what would be a key indicator to know this isn't speculative anymore? Like this is happening. We are over the tipping point of this becoming a thing. That's a good question. I don't know exactly what that number is, but the, the easiest way to think about it is when regular people who have no interest in investing in ENS domains, and especially people who aren't deep into Web3 or Ethereum when they start using it with no knowledge of people like me or people like us, when they yeah, just use it a, because they need it. I'm just, I'm maybe not even looking at a number. I'm just wondering, like, is it when a certain group of companies start to use this and you start seeing it? Um, it's just interesting. Because there was a, a part of, point in time where everybody was talking about Bitcoin for a little bit, right? And mm. even people who didn't have Bitcoin, they at least heard the name. I would venture to guess like less than 5% of people have heard about ENS right now. Would you say it's that small? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, smaller than that, probably. Yeah. So there was a point in time where I would say with using Bitcoin as an example, everybody was hearing about that. But that kind of crashed and burned for a little bit. Now, all of it did, right? Like things go up and down as part of the cycle. But I'm just curious to see like when we feel like speculation is no longer part of the equation and it becomes almost certainty. Yeah, so as far as, so there's two, two thoughts I have here. Number one, the speculation aspect. So that will always be there for people investing in names, right? Just like there's massive, I guess, well, speculation may not be the right word, um, but essentially trying to predict that somebody will pay more for something. I mean, that happens right now today 
in every type of domain, .com, .io, all that domain name investors is a thing and has been a thing for 30 years. And they still do it and they still make a lot of money, right? Because they're saying, oh, I found this one for 50 grand. I think I can flip it for, for 200. Um, that's never going to go away. Uh, so, but as far as the, when can people like us say, okay, we know we've made it at least, you know, to some degree. I think another way to look at it is when regular people become aware of it, right? So one of Matt's big uh, things that I, I love that I, I've used a very similar example myself is for someone like Taylor Swift, to, and this is this is in my thread as well, that Taylor Swift can create subdomains off of her domain, taylorswift.eth, for her fans, and that her fans, obviously lots of her fans hopefully will want it, but I think the, the idea is that will people be aware of it in the mainstream without fully understanding it, right? So let's say, let's say Taylor Swift comes out with taylorswift.eth, you can get subdomains if you do X, Y, and Z, go to X amount of concerts or whatever. And then all of a sudden, you know, people start using it. And then other people who aren't using it, they see that online on Twitter, on Instagram or wherever, and they know what it is, right? Because again, like you said, if you were to go up to someone on the street and say, you know, show them my Twitter handle and say, look at this guy's Twitter, it has dot ETH at the end. Do you know what that is? Most people would say no, right? In a world where we're past the speculation phase, a significant amount of people, especially younger people, would see that and say, oh, I, I know what that is. Whether they have one or not, if they're aware of it um, and understand it, that's that's going to be massive. And that, of course, we're, we're not even close to right now. So you mentioned next kind of in your thread that you love the inf love infrastructure and plumbing. I'm just going to stop at that first sentence. What do you mean by that? So... He said he he's described oh, he liking. Said, sorry, he said this, and I I agree with it. That he likes to invest in things that are infrastructure or plumbing, and what he described is a perfect use case in the in the NFT world, which is how many NFTs or or we call them PFP project like profile pictures. How many of are there? I mean, technically, there's probably over a hundred thousand. I think at this point, um, maybe even a million. But there's there's thousands and thousands of these things. What are the odds that you pick the one that people decide is going to be the, the best one, right? I mean, at this point, you say, okay, you got Bored Apes, CryptoPunks, Doodles, maybe a couple others. And those have all been, you know, relatively massive winners. But that's like 0.01% of NFT projects, maybe less, right? Where when you bet on infrastructure or the base layer of what people are going to connect with, there aren't hundreds of thousands of ways of being wrong where you get the you get the concept right and yet still lose right but when you bet on infrastructure your odds are significantly higher because infrastructure a there's way less uh competitors right and b when you win on infrastructure you can win way more like you're whether you're winning 10x 100x 1000x it's going to be more on infrastructure because infrastructure if it works especially in a web3 world everyone is going to use it Right. Where, OK, Bored Apes is a big hit. How many people have Bored Apes? 10,000 or, or less. Right. And so like it doesn't really it doesn't really impact that many people where ENS, if it works, there's going to be millions and millions, hundreds of millions of users on it. And if you can get in at the ground floor of something that's going to have hundreds of millions of users, that has a way bigger payoff than uh, picking the right NFT. Got it. That makes sense, though. Yeah. I, I I totally get that. Also, if you're if you are getting a little bit gamble gambly 
like gamble-ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Would it make sense though to pick good, would it, like ones that have a community around it already? Right, like I feel like community is gonna would would travel well from the DNS to the ENS world, don't you think? Um, possibly. What? Well, I was gonna say so. There, this exact idea you just mentioned of community in ENS is something that many many people are trying to do, which is essentially ENS clubs, right? So we have the two that we know are are big and essentially working, which is the nine 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 and the ten K club which is basically numbers from, you know, three and four digit numbers. Um, but then there's a ton of other ones, right? These emojis and these, uh, you know, six digit numbers and uh, different languages and different, all kinds of clubs that these people have come up with. And at least in, I don't think it's working super well for most of them right now. Probably the emoji one, I think people are pretty into. Um, but outside of that, a lot of them have fallen, fallen away, but that's just because the community is is trying to start from scratch right now around this random part of ENS, where if you're talking about community of things that already exist, uh, such as like brands or, or again, musicians, Taylor Swift, things like that. Um, yeah, that that's just going to be amazing. And, and that was one of, I would say that might almost have been the most important takeaway take from um, Matt's talk was the subdomain aspect and how big a deal it's going to be specifically for brands, communities. And again, brands can be a person, right? Taylor Swift is a brand. She's a person, but she's right. a brand, right? Um, a musician, an, an athlete, LeBron James, he's a brand, right? So when we say brand, we mean celebrity, athlete, anybody famous who has fans, that's what we mean by brand. And so whether it's a brand or an existing community, uh, those are the biggest use cases for subdomains. And that possibly could be the thing that kicks this all off once a big brand or community starts doing this. You had mentioned, so you'd mentioned that in the thread, talking about brands and use Taylor Swift as an example written out that, or he used that. And then he, he had said in there, matt.taylorswift.eth mm-hmm. for him. If he has matt. Can you like, if he has matt.higgins, <laughs> dot eth can you double like i guess this is just an ignorant question could he go do matt dot higgins dot taylor swift dot eth you know what i mean that's an interesting question i uh i don't know the answer to that because like i'm not sure if you can do like an extra extra one right if you want it to be like there's gonna be a lot of mats out there right there's gonna be a lot of higgins higgins dot taylor swift so that would take that option away from somebody but if you had matt.higgins.e like i just was curious if you could do a double dot well the so the sub the subdomain aspect of last names i think is going to be not a huge deal at the beginning only until ens goes mainstream right I think the be brands like and communities thing. that'll be a second tier first tier is brands celebrities their fans wanting to show their love for these brands and probably get some sort of access right nfts you know, digital, you know, digital tickets, NFT tickets, whatever, whatever they can use that for, which there's many, many use cases. That's first. Eventually, I think last names will be a big deal for subdomains. I think that's actually a massive use case. Um, one of the biggest ones that I'm personally invested in. But as far as a, tr- I don't know what you would call it, like a sub subdomain, I, I actually don't know. And I don't know if that would really be a big thing because you're right. There's a lot of mats. There's probably a decent amount of Matt Higgins, but is there a lot of Matt Higgins who are Taylor Swift fans who are like deep into Taylor Swift. Uh, 
I, I don't know. And and I think at that point, it would probably just make more sense to be like Matt Higgins one dot Taylor Swift dot ETH, mm. you know, versus the, yeah. the triple subdomain aspect. The double dot, triple dot. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. One thing though that you mentioned, and I don't know if you want to touch on it for very long, but talking about the rug pull with ENS, there is none. Mm. And I think that that was something that's really important when talking about this because a lot of NFT projects ended up with some type of rug pull, right? Uh, and left people high and dry. They invested a lot of time, effort, money into it, and they came out with nothing. FTX yeah. was almost kind of a rug pull in a way. Like a yeah, scam, but in a weird of, way, it's kind yeah. of like a, you know? Well, I mean, it's it just a more complicated rug pull and a lot more going on, but I think the gist of it is they took people's money saying they were going to do, you know, the that there was some sort of thing that was going to happen. And then that thing didn't happen because they just took the money themselves. So I guess you're right. Kind of like a, a rug pull. Um, why is it important yeah. that this doesn't have that ability and why, why doesn't, why is there no opportunity for that? So I should be a little clear because some people will probably push back because of the big controversy a couple weeks ago about uh, something. What's that? I said, let them. Yeah. Well, but they're, but they're, possibly right that when we say rug pull a rug pull can't happen what we're what we're essentially saying is there's not a person who could just take all the money and like shut the system down so this is what happens in regular nfts right you pay everybody puts in 200 bucks the founder gets you know three hundred thousand dollars making all these promises and then all of a sudden they have three hundred thousand dollars in their wallet they just take it and walk away and say i'm just not going to do the thing that i'm going to do so ens has so many advantages over that number one it already works fully and completely and has, you know, tens of thousands of fans. It's one of the oldest NFTs that exists, which I don't know if most people realize. So it started in 2017. Ethereum started, I think, in 2016. Um, and so it's been around a long time, has way more provability of any of the normal PFPs that just started. And it's run by a DAO, which means anybody has to get, uh, they have to vote to do anything with the money and there has to be a, a quorum met, meaning like a certain amount of people have to vote and say, yes, we should do that thing. And so, you know, I guess, you know, in the deep, deep, truest sense, it could be rug pulled. But the way it would be rug pulled is everybody on the team voting to steal money. I mean, it's just it's not realistic. Right. Yeah. And so this is a big problem in many, many aspects of Web3 and, and NFTs specifically. You always have to be worried about that. Not always, but in many of these projects, the reason they become valuable is because of the promises that are being made about what they're going to do in the future. And ENS is valuable. I mean, I guess they're promising subdomain. It hasn't happened. But in general, ENS is still valuable as it is today. If everybody stopped doing what they're supposed to do, it's still valuable, right? Where that's not true with most of these NFTs. The value comes from the hope that they're going to do something in the future and then they can just not do it and take the money. He had mentioned he likes being early on things when they're not obvious because it's fun. I think you obviously feel strongly about being early on it. Talk about how you feel in these early stages. And then I might push back a little bit and ask some questions that might be devil's yeah. advocate style. Yeah, yeah, for sure. First of all, I think his quote was a little bit longer and better than that. I just kind of cut it off so it sounds a little funky. But um, essentially, he was saying it's it's really fun to be super early on things. And I, I agree in general. Um, I would say 
a big caveat for this is is he is a very wealthy person that if every aspect of ENS failed, he's going to be completely fine in his life, just like me. Um, so I do worry a little bit, I, although his book is called Burn the Boats, which uh, we'll, we talk about later. I, I'm pretty sure he doesn't mean literally go all in on ENS and put all your life savings in it. Um, but so assuming you're not doing that, being extremely early and for all intents and purposes, we're being contrarian by by betting on this. It's so fun in so many ways. And the the easiest way to explain this for me, what I love doing is thinking through the future. I think I heard this on Tim Ferriss uh, once, and it really resonated with me was go live in the future that you think is going to happen. So once you've done the deep thought process to figure out where you think the world is going, go, let's say three years from now, right? So it's 2026 mentally go live in 2026 where the world is the way you think it's going to be. And then start working backwards and thinking, how did it get there? What things happened to make this world exist, right? Just like it's for us very easy to see, okay, what happened with .com? Okay, the PC came out and then, you know, professors were sending that, you know, and you can like back step into what happened, do the same thing mentally, right? And that's the just one a thing, funny is, thing is, How do you do that though? Like, how do you do that? Because from a guy like Tim Ferriss, Tim Ferriss is the half a percent of the 1% that could probably yeah. intellectually do that. He can actually, but <clears throat> I mean, there's nobody that would be 10 years ago could live into in 2013 and see what we're seeing today with the rise of technology. I just don't believe it. I don't believe people would realize how fast things can, can go. Like, what are some of those things that if you fast forward five years, 10 years, what are you, what are you thinking through? What are you looking at? Well, I think there's a difference between thinking up, you know, three to five, seven years ahead on something that already exists and how it could become mainstream versus predicting something that doesn't exist at all to making it exist, right? Like if you went to somebody in 2007 and said, there's going to be this digital technology where you're going to own things on a blockchain, like that's not really something most people could have a chance to predict, but you could also use the same argument and say, okay, it's 2013, 2014, or even let's say Ethereum is probably a better example in 2015 when they say, okay, there's a smart contract platform. You could think, okay, so if smart contracts exist, this would allow for the ability to have provable, provable digital ownership on a blockchain. So if we can have provable digital ownership, what would happen with that? Okay, well, maybe people will want to have art on there so they could prove that they own art instead of hanging a painting in their wall. They could have it on their computer and they could prove that they own it, right? So you can make the logical steps once the thing exists. It makes it much, much easier than trying to predict something that, you know, we have no knowledge, like a black swan type of invention, right? Another good example would be thinking of social media, right? So it's 2010, 11, 12. We all have just gotten smartphones. Social media is just starting to get really big, but still, you know, one fiftieth of where it is today. What could somebody have thought of in that time for, could they have thought up, okay, everybody's going to be staring at their phone all day and, you know, they're going to be obsessed with taking pictures of themselves. And like, you probably could think that through, right? Okay. People are very vain and people like to get attention and whatever. You can make that logical to step to see where people put their whole life online to others make a fool of themselves specifically to get views. You know, that would have been crazy before social media, right? So people will purposely make fun of themselves in public. But then once you saw at the very beginning of what social media did to people, you probably could have predicted it. Yeah. I want to jump over to this because it talking about sports is where one of the places I think that this is obviously really big because sports yeah. are a huge part of people's world. And it, 
that's not going Absolutely. away no matter what technology has, right? You're never going to play sports in the metaverse. The it might it might get bigger. It might get bigger because of the metaverse. Real quick, I heard somebody talk about this with AI. In the future, yeah. when AI is co- creating content in so many aspects of our lives, people will want the opposite. They'll want to see the one thing that isn't AI, and it'll make it even more attractive. So it's very possible that sports gets, it, it may seem hard to believe, but it could get a lot bigger in the future. That's interesting. It, you, yeah. he, had, he had mentioned the easiest way to convince sports teams is to adapt ENS by migrating fans, fan clubs to the blockchain. Uh, dive into that a little bit, but then also my question would be on that. Could the inverse also be true? Is it the best way? Could the best way to migrate fans to use the blockchain to convince sports teams to adopt ENS or, you know, wait, hold on. That's what he said. No, I'm reading that right. Because sports teams have a following, right? Like I feel like, Mm -hmm. I feel like what the sports team decides influences the fan more than the fan influencing the sports team. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I think that's what he's saying is, is what you're saying. The first way that the sports team should institute ENS subdomains for their fan clubs for all of the benefits that ENS provides that their current centralized uh, fan clubs don't. Right. And so one of the biggest aspects, there's so many, there's so many reasons for this. I mean, well, let's just say the most obvious, which is the advertising angle, right? If you're the, let's say Patriots, right? He talked about the Patriots that sold for, they bought it for, I think, I don't know, 80 or a hundred thousand dollars a few months ago. <clears throat> so let's just use them. Um, so if you're a fan of the Patriots and you know, you're obsessed fan, you're in the fan club, you would, let's say they would give you, uh, in my case, say tj.patriots.eth. And I make that my name on social media all over the place. The brand is now getting visible because of what Everywhere. I'm doing. Every time I do anything, say anything, they're getting brand visibility, right? right. So that's why, that's why it's, it's great for the brands one way. But then the other biggest thing has, has to do with the fact that when somebody holds a subdomain, which is for all intents and purposes, similar to uh, having an NFT in your wallet, which means that we can, on the back end, you can monitor the blockchain, get into very detailed aspects of a person's wallet, what they hold, what they've done with their wallet, where they've spent money. And this can give brands the ability to um, tailor things specifically to their biggest fans, right? So um, a big aspect of this is airdropping. So they can say, okay, all our, our biggest fans who hold the subdomains, we're airdropping them um, a, a behind the scenes video of something they care about that nobody else is going to get. It's just going to go to them, right? Or we're going to airdrop five random digital NFT sports cards to five people. And it's a lottery that, you know, wh- whatever there, there's so it's almost hard to believe how much they could do. I mean, another obvious one is coupons, right? Oh, if you go to the team store, if you're so if you hold the subdomain, you get 50% off, right? And to them, they can run this ad campaign that could get a lot of attention but they know they're only going to have to give 50% off to the 10,000 people in the fan club, right? They don't have to, like, when you run an ad on TV, like, you could end up actually losing money if somehow more people take advantage of it than you thought, right? And, or the opposite happens, and you didn't tailor it enough, and not enough of your fans saw it, right? Where in this case, you would easily be able to send it directly to only the fans that you want to see it, who you know will take advantage, right? 
Yeah, and there's probably an aspect too of like even next level with fans that are at the game that they can detect that and airdrop something special to them 100%. while they're at the game. You know what I mean? That's like uh, geo- perfect, perfect example. I was literally going to talk about that. You're absolutely right. So the best example is, hey, the people in our in our uh, in our whoever subdomains, whatever call it, in your fa- in your fan club, they get uh, a free beer. Right? Everybody right. gets one. Every right. person gets a free beer. And then maybe it's, hey, you get access to this exclusive, you know, some section of the stadium. All the fans get to go there. It's you get to do a meet and greet right before the game. Come down to this section. All the players will come give you a high five or give you an autograph. Like there's there's so many things. But the other big one for the brands, too, is just coupons. Right. So they could say, OK, you get 20 percent off uh, drinks, you know, sodas today. And then maybe they can tailor that to. Uh, what their needs are at the moment. If the game's super dead and not that many people showed up, maybe they increase the discount. If it's super popular and whatever, then they can lower the discount. They can just do all of it live and have it all go only to who they want it to go to. Yeah, and also just all like all in one, there's a way probably to track the tickets through that, right? Tracking tickets through uh, like an NFT that's attached to your the fan that's carrying the subdomain, like there's just so many layers all within one. Yep. And I can envision just, a, you're not going to need a, a system for ticketing, a system for this, a system for the free beer, a system for that. You know, it's like, it's literally like all in one. It's just, it, that's right. It's just going to be it's one, it. one system where it all goes through the same thing, which is your wallet, which could be in this case, your subdomain. Everything goes through that. And it's all hundred percent verifiable. This is the other key. Like, and it oh, doesn't well, you cost know, the master. Patriots anything. Like it doesn't cost them anything, I mean, right? Negligible, yeah, completely negligible. Just you well, know. they don't got to hold. You don't got to hold a license to a software to Ticketmaster anymore. Or exactly, you know what I mean? Yes. Just different things like yes. that. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. The ability to cut out the middleman. The ability to monitor the the uh, the tickets. The the provability aspect is just going to be so massive with this. You know, the problem every year of Super Bowl. I bought this ticket from a scalper and it's fake. Like that problem is going to go away when we get to right. uh, NFT ticketing. It's just going to be gone. Um, so, yeah. So I want to kind of wrap up here as we wind yeah. down a little bit, but there's not enough of an argument to go to a brand without subdomains. It's not worth their effort without it. What do you mean by that? So what he's trying to say there is, I'm not sure I 100% agree, but I probably like 90% agree. But he's essentially saying that brands don't have enough incentive to join ENS right now because a lot of people on Twitter want to say, "Oh, go, you know, let's let's get this brand, you know, Lyft, let's get Lyft to get their their .eth and you know whoever else get their .eth." And and what he's saying is, okay, yeah, that's cool. What they're going to post it on Twitter, and you know, maybe they'll they'll get some attention from us in the community. That's cool. But like, what else can they can they really do with it? right now that's really exciting and engaging for them that could essentially quickly turn into a ability to profit, right? That's what companies care about. And so what he's saying is right now, you're just going to hit too much resistance. Like even if you got the CMO of Lyft on the phone and explained it to him, and they were totally paying attention. It's possible they would just say, that sounds cool. We probably should do that, do something at some point, but it's just not worth our time and energy. Where once the subdomains are live, and you get that same Lyft CMO on the phone and you explain, okay, you can give each driver their own subdomain. You can pay them directly. You can monitor everything. You can, you know, all the aspects that come with that 
you can give you know customers the subdomains, you can give them discounts, you can you know blah 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 all this stuff. Now they're thinking, okay, target target marketing and and all the ability of the airdrops and and all that. Yeah, now I'm interested, right? Now I want to hear more, and I I need to to get involved in this. So he's saying once that happens, brands will start listening. But until then, you're probably wasting your time trying to you know if you own a company domain. You're probably wasting your time trying to track them down and get them to buy it from you because there's not enough incentive for them to yet. Yeah. And then I like also kind of rolling into that. And this, I think this kind of encompasses the art aspect to ENS, right? Like the collecting aspect where he talks about getting behind things that resonate with him personally. Talk about the Irish.eth. I just think that that's really important when you're looking at all things. It's kind of like the idea of the NFTs. There's certain aspects to all this where you're thinking of the investability of it. You're thinking of the use cases for it. But then there's also a part of it where you're just like, I like this. Like, I'm I'm Irish. I'm into this. Like, this is. So I think things like that are also, no matter what the value, they always they'll always hold value to you. So if they go to a million awesome for you. But if they don't ever go to anything, who cares? I think that's, that's absolutely true. <clears throat> we, this comes back to the conversation the community had uh, pretty deeply a couple weeks ago about collectible NFT or collectible ENS, meaning char- like characters, you know, Harry Potter.eth, Homer Simpson.eth, because people resonate with those so much that people, and there's, they have such big fan bases. People will just want them because they just want them. And I know that's how it feels to me, right? I have some famous characters that I really enjoy and I just like to be able to feel like I'm the guy who owns them, right? There's only one person in the world who owns the the real version of that character's name, only one, and it's me, right? And that just feels awesome. And so again, he was using more like Irish and, you know, that's a good example of like, that's not a character, but like there's 50 million people who that resonates with. They feel like I'm Irish. Like how cool is that to own that? Right. And so you're, there is going to be a lot of, a lot of that, I think in ENS, the problem, some of the community is going to run into is people think that about a lot of things that other people will resonate with and they're just wrong. Um, and so you really have to think deeply of how many people does this truly, because a lot of times it can be well one person it resonates with, which again, if it's you, that's fine, but that doesn't mean you're going to, then it's not an investing thing. It's just a collecting thing. You just want to collect it fine, collect whatever the hell you want, right? But if you're thinking, I need to sell this for profit, you can't be the only one who thinks this thing is amazing and wants to be the one to hold it, right? And there's a lot of that. So you have to be more broad. I think there's something else he talked about a lot um, is, is thinking deeply through this stuff. Think more broad. More people need to care about it and want it, not just you. You think it's cool. That's just not relevant uh, when it comes to to investing. Um so yeah, but I, I'm personally big into the the uh, character aspect. I, I do think that you know the Pokemon is the one that's gone off lately. I know nothing about Pokemon, don't care about Pokemon, but I get that it's popular. I feel the same way about Simpsons characters, and so I, I get it. I I get it completely, even though I don't give a crap about uh, about Pokemon. And I think this is going to happen with a lot of things, right? And it's yeah, fun. it's exciting. The next. The, the one thing, too, that he talked about was buying friends domains. That's something that you've done. And yeah. not from the yeah. aspect of, like, holding it hostage over somebody. Well, although I think you can do that with certain, not friends. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't but do that with friends. Don't do that with friends. But um, 
you know, I think that that's going to be something that's going to hold a lot of weight too in the future with people that maybe haven't, didn't really realize this five years yes. from now, you have their name sitting in your wallet and they're like, Oh, cool. Thanks for thinking about me, dude. Yeah. I mean that, I think that's just, it's such a cool thing to do. Um, it's great that, that he's doing that. He had mentioned he got one, a good one. It wasn't his name, but one that he, he, he gifted one to Gary V his, his partner, um, that he thought would resonate with him. And, but especially people's names, uh, that's, that's just a cool thing to do that imagine a world where let's say it takes two years, where in two years, one of your, you know, it becomes mainstream and your friend starts asking you about it. Cause they know you're involved in it. Like, Hey, you know, I know about the CNS. I found out, you know, my name's taken. This sucks. What should I do? And you're like, Oh yeah, it's taken. Cause I bought it for you two years ago and have been holding it for you this whole time. And now you're ready and you're interested. And here you go. I mean, right. Talk about unbelievable for a friendship because it's not like you just did something on the spot, right? It's not like somebody saying, hey, can I borrow this real quick? Can you do it and then give it back? And it's just a nice little thing to do for a second. It's like you've been thinking about them for years and you spent money. You invested your own money into something that you, for them to, to protect them and to make sure they got something that you knew would be important to them. I, to me, that just seems like a really, really big deal to do for somebody and, and uh I think people in the future will truly and deeply respect that. And it's just a, it's a cool thing to do. And, and you can do really cool stuff like this when we're this early. Right. And the amount yeah. you have to invest is relatively small to do something so relatively big for somebody else. No, no doubt. What, uh, what are a couple of things that we haven't touched on that you want to make sure we talk about before you go? Well, you know what? Let's do this. Let's, let's stop. Let's pause this one and let's do a version or uh, episode two of this. And we'll go over the, uh, the second half of his, his stuff. Cause again, he was on the call for two hours talking, you know, in detail, super genuine, giving honest, true answers to everybody. It was great. And so many, cause people actually ask really good questions. I was surprised. Normally I feel like people ask dumb questions. Um, so they ask good ones. So we got good answers. And I think we should really dive into some more because everything he went over was very high level, important stuff to talk about. It wasn't, it wasn't in the weeds where it's kind of like, oh, who cares? It was good, high level stuff. Uh, hopefully this has been that for people. And then maybe we can do some more uh, on the next one. Sounds good. Tune back for yeah. part two. Everybody. Part two. We'll see you then. Uh, thanks for listening. Make sure you uh, sign up for the newsletter, enshq.beehive.eth. You can find it on my Twitter at TJ Larkin 23. And what's yours? I don't even know. <laughs> you don't know yours? At REI guy. REI guy. Um, yeah. All right. I remember yours more than you. All right. Thanks, everybody. Listen, feel free to hit me up on Twitter or anywhere else. All right. Peace.